How sweet are thy words unto my taste, yea, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Through thy precepts I get understanding, therefore I hate every false way. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Because all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man as the flower of the grass. The grass withers, and the flower falls away. But the word of the Lord endures forever. Now this is the word which by the gospel was preached to you. Welcome to the Biblical Christianity Podcast. This is a work of the BCS Church of Christ in Bryan College Station. We're talking about uh, fellowship, but before we get back into it, uh, my name is uh, Tom Moore. I am one of the instructors for the uh, Texas School of Preaching, and with me today, two of my comrades. I'm Morning Stefanis. I am also one of the instructors here at the Texas School of Preaching. My name is Terrence Brownlow Dindy, Director, Texas School of Preaching. All right, so we, last week we began discussing the issue of biblical fellowship, and we talked about how there are so many in our world today who are really uh, destroying God's doctrine concerning fellowship. Uh, they don't understand biblical fellowship. They treat fellowship as something more than a uh, maybe uh, cookies and donuts scenario, a covered dish luncheon fellowship. But, uh, Mornay, maybe it'd be good for us to, in the beginning, to maybe look back at a definition of what fellowship is and, and then go with who should we and who should we not have biblical fellowship with. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's always incumbent upon us to, to understand where we are going to define something. I said a thing cannot be properly understood until it's correctly defined. Yes. And so when we're talking about fellowship, we are talking about that agreement. Uh, I think this is the fundamental uh, concept of fellowship is agreement. First and foremost, agreement with God. Yes. In order to be in fellowship, if, if, if me and Tom want to be in fellowship with one another, we first have to be in agreement with God. Can, uh, can two be, walk together except they be agreed? And so the underlying concept of fellowship is agreement, but then also it is this idea of association. Uh, we are associated with one another because we are in agreement. And uh, we don't necessarily pay a whole lot of attention to that, but I want us to think about it this way. Would you associate yourself with someone, let's say, like Adolf Hitler, right? You would not associate yourself with Adolf Hitler. Why? Because you are not in agreement with him and his practices, right? And so this is really the concept of fellowship, is when, when we consider uh, what fellowship is in its essence, when someone is practicing something, with which you do not agree, you cannot be in fellowship with them. You're not going to be in fellowship with them. Now, biblically, if someone is practicing something of which God does not approve, he cannot be in fellowship with God. Right? And we understand it. I think on a very basic level, every individual understands the concept of fellowship. I think the problem comes in, Terrence, of accepting it. You hit on something that's very important there. If People stand for something with which God does not agree. Mm -hmm. And at the end of the day, there's, your, there's our issue. There's our issue. Jesus Christ said in the book of Matthew chapter 28, verse number 18, it's recorded post-resurrection that all authority has been given unto me both in heaven and on earth. Jesus Christ is the authority figure in all matters spiritual and otherwise in life. 
And so we simply have to be willing to comply with whatever it is that Jesus Christ has set forth in regards to standards and conditions of fellowship. And I think that's where sometimes members of the church get into a problem, and that is they think sometimes that they are the ones who have the right to be able to determine what conditions of fellowship are, but no, really God is the one. Exactly right. And we think about Really, there's three areas that we want to delve into for a few moments this afternoon or this evening, whenever you're listening to it. And it is, we cannot have fellowship with those who are in the world. We can't have fellowship with those in the church who are living in sin. And we cannot have fellowship with those who teach that which is contrary to God's law or false teachers. We think about the idea, first of all, about those who are in the world. I think of a passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 9 where it says, or know, ye not, uh, or know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with men. He talks about all these things. These people shall not, he says, uh, inherit the kingdom of God. And so if we're... We can't have fellowship with those people who are not going to go to heaven because when you have fellowship and you're rubbing elbows with and you're agreeing with and you're associating with those who are ungodly, who are ungodly in the world, uh, that is going to be breaking your fellowship with God because sooner or later, well, evil companionships corrupt good morals. And that should be enough proof to us why we ought not to have fellowship with the ungodly of the world. Absolutely. You know, James makes it very plain, very clear, James 4 and verse 4. He speaks in language that, that uh, is very bold, ye adulterers and adulteresses. And he's addressing the church. He's addressing members of the body of Christ, and he emphatically states, don't you know? This is something that you should know, but you have obviously forgotten that friendship with the world, koinonia, fellowship with the world, participation with the world is enmity with God. Whosoever, therefore, is a friend of the world makes himself the enemy of God. And, and herein is the key, as you just mentioned. There is, uh, you, when you decide that you want to be friendly towards unrighteousness, he's not talking about being a friend of that which is uh, uh, righteous in and of itself or that which may be worldly but is not neither righteous or unrighteous. He's talking about, when he talks about worldliness, he's talking about worldly ideas, worldly concepts, things that are unrighteous in the sight of God. If you desire to be a friend of those things, you cannot be the friend of God. You become the enemy of God. And therein God has, as Terrence so aptly put, God has set the, the boundaries of fellowship. He has drawn that line, and all we're doing is recognizing it. That's it. Jesus Christ died for us to cleanse us from all iniquity, all iniquity, rather, or unrighteousness. Titus chapter 2, verse number 14. He's made us holy. He's sanctified us. The Bible describes us as children of light in places like the book of Ephesians and the fifth chapter. And the Bible tells us in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse number 8, For you were sometimes darkness, but now are light, and the Lord walk as children of light. And in that same concept, in that same context, in verse number 11, it says, Have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. And so that's an explicit command from God, explicit statement. Make sure that we have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. And we understand what that means. I think sometimes people want to play the game of well, you know, doesn't God tell us to be an influence to the world around us? Doesn't God, you know, expect us to be able to, to teach others? I had a situation one time 
Brother Tom, where uh, my daughter was playing high school basketball, and we lived in Kendall, Louisiana for a number of years, preached there for 13 years. And the, the claim of fame of Kendall, Louisiana is a big casino. They used to have the biggest land casino in Louisiana. And whenever the girls made it to the playoffs, the coach determined they were going out to the casino to be able to eat a steak dinner. That's what they were going to do for them is take them to the casino to eat a steak dinner. And, and I told the coach very politely that my daughter won't be going. She won't be going. And, man, they kind of got irate with me. And, oh, it's, you know, it's not a big deal. It's not a big deal. It's just one time. But it is a big deal in the eyes of God. And, and if we would cease to relegate to a position of no big deal, the things that God says are important and significant, we do, do well to uh, we'll do better in trying to, uh, to please him where this fellowship thing is concerned. You know, this is not something that's new with God. You know, Mornay teaches in the school of preaching uh, Joshua and Judges, and he told Joshua when they go into the promised land, what were they to do? They were to destroy all of the evil influences there and have no association with them. Well, they did some of it, but they also left behind certain things. And as you notice in the history of Israel, when they began to rub elbows with those of the foreign nations who were living ungodly, worshiping in idols, that began to flow into their lifestyle. And so the same thing would happen to us if we allow the world and we associate it with so closely. Now, we we, we got to teach them. we got to have some association, but teaching them. But there's a big difference in teaching someone who is a non-Christian and going to a casino with them and eating a steak. we got to be able to draw a difference there, but also we've got to keep that separation. Absolutely. You know, when the, the children of Israel, they fail to, to keep the commandments of God relating to that, to fail to destroy all the people out of the land. They kept some here and they kept some there. They didn't take this part. They didn't take that part. And uh, the Lord left those people in the land to prove them. And the Lord said, I'm going to do this to prove you. And the, the, the main thing when we think about uh, when they left the people in the land, the influence that they were going to exact upon the people, mm -hmm. you know, as we say, it is easier to pull someone down than it is to pull someone up. The Lord had set that, those nations for judgment. Uh, you know, he made that promise to Abraham, uh, and he said, you know, you can't go yet. They, their iniquity is not yet full. The Lord had set those nations for judgment. And the Lord had a plan for, for that. The Lord desired to do that, but his people had other notions. They, mm -hmm. they were afraid to take, in some cases, they were afraid to take uh, some of the land, but they also were enthralled by the things of, uh, of that land. Mm -hmm. I think therein lies our issue with, when we talk about fellowship with the world, is that some Christians are afraid to disassociate themselves with the world. They're afraid to say no. We're not going to be involved in that. Mm -hmm. And then, then some Christians are enthralled by the things yeah. of this world. They want to be, uh, so they don't want to distance it. The same as Israel, yeah. they, in both cases. While you guys are talking about Israel and God's dictates to them to not be in fellowship with these people, God is very specific there, isn't he? So whenever sometimes we be, begin to pretend that we don't really understand the parameters of what God expects, and of course we'll talk about this when we get into the New Testament and dealing with fellowship issues in the church, God has always been very, very clear, and he set his parameters with great clarity. He says, I don't want you to give your sons, I mean your daughters, pardon me, to their sons mm -hmm. in marriage. I don't want you to receive their daughters for your sons in marriage. I don't want you to become involved in their 
their ethics or their lack of morals. He tells them that. He, he emphasizes things in place like Leviticus chapters 18 to 20 that the Gentiles did. And for, and for this reason, the land vomited these people out is the very strong language that God utilizes there. He says, man, these guys are doing things that, that are along the lines of bestiality, homosexuality, uh, incest. He says, I don't want you involved in those types of things. And so God is very meticulous. He actually delineates what he means when he says, I don't want you to be in fellowship with works of darkness. And evidently, there are people today who think that God is now in the New Testament lowering his standards. Mm. Well, you can't get any further from the truth than that. If anything, he's raising the standard uh, for Christianity. You know, we think about it ought to be a no-brainer for us you would hope for a faithful Christian not to want to have fellowship in the world, with things of the world, with the morality that's in the world, and things of that nature. But I think another difficulty for us in regard to fellowship is how do we deal with the fellowship issue in the church? When a brother or a sister finds themselves in sin, and we, we were talking about this uh, a moment ago before we were on air about this idea of disfellowship concerning or withdrawing our fellowship from uh, someone. Uh, Mornay, that's not really the correct terminology, is it? No, it's not. We, we, we find ourselves using these terminologies, and, and, and really we do harm to the concept or to the definition of it. We, we do not withdraw fellowship. Mm -hmm. uh, the individual has withdrawn themselves from out of fellowship with God by their actions, right? And so we do not withdraw fellowship from that. And so Matthew chapter 18 and verse 18, which is the context of, of, of a, a recognition of church discipline or corrective discipline uh, instituted by Christ. He said, Verily I say unto you, whatsoever ye shall bind on earth shall be bound or shall already have been bound in heaven, and whatsoever you shall loose on earth shall already have been loosed in heaven. And so this is the same phraseology that he gave to his apostles in Matthew chapter 16, where he talks about the, the authority that they have. So when we withdraw from an individual, quote-unquote, right, when we uh, practice uh, church discipline or corrective discipline, we are merely recognizing something that has already taken place mm -hmm. in, in heaven. And here's, here's very important to, to recognize this as well. If we do not practice corrective discipline, that does not mean that the individual is still in fellowship with God and everything's okay. No, that individual has already been recognized as being out of fellowship with God, whether we recognize it or not. That's exactly right. <clears throat> the Bible talks about withdrawal. So that would be the correct terminology, withdrawal. You go over to places like the book of 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse number 6, and verse number 14, and the Bible tells us to withdraw ourselves from everyone that walks disorderly and not according to the traditions which they have received from the apostles. Uh, that's a word there in the, in the Greek language. It literally means to avoid. It's from the Greek word stello, uh, to avoid. And, of course, there's the present middle, indic present middle infinitive, but it would go over to the uh, to verse number 14 of that same passage in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. And there's another very interesting word that's utilized. It's a different word. They're both translated withdraw, but it's a different word. And I think this one really serves to help us to, to understand what 
the definition of biblical discipline is here. And so that word is, is suna, sunana mignumi, sunana mignumi. And so if you break that down in three parts, soon, which is the preposition with, ana, up, and then mignumi is the idea of to mix with. And so God is saying, you do not mix up with these people, literally is what he's saying. You don't mix up with them. And so as Brother Mornay has mentioned, they've already compromised the fellowship. They've already broken the fellowship, First John chapter 1, verse number 6, by stepping out of the light. Now God says to you, who are still faithful Christians, you don't mix up with these people. You avoid them. You know, we have a perfect example of the very thing we're talking about uh, in 1 Corinthians at chapter 5. Uh, beginning in verse 1, it says, It is actually reported, and I, I, it was publicly known what was taking place here, that there is fornication among you, and such fornication as is not even among the Gentiles, that one of you hath his father's wife. You are puffed up. Uh, they, were, uh, they were arrogant about this thing, and did not rather mourn that he had done this deed might be taken away from you. For verily being absent in the body, but present in the spirit, have already as though I present judgment to him that has wrought this thing. And notice what he says in verse 5. He said, to this person who's in sin in the church, he says to deliver such a one for the destruction of the flesh, that the spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. In verse 9 he says, have no company with. Verse 11, have no company with. And so that is uh, withdrawing from them, not associating with them. Uh, and the purpose is the saving of the soul. Uh, and that's critical. Uh, there are so many people who say things like, well, we don't want to uh, practice church discipline because that's really an unloving thing to do. But in reality... It is the loving thing to do because the purpose is to bring them back to Christ. Uh, when it's practiced properly, in y'all's experience, there's been lots of success in that regard, hasn't there? It, it, it has. I know Mornay's got some good things to weigh in on the subject, but, but let me say this real quickly. It always works. I mean, we've heard this explicitly stated that, well, we don't do church discipline because it doesn't work. Man, I'd be very careful about saying something that doesn't work whenever God says it does. That's first yeah. and foremost. But secondly, you mentioned the purpose of it. And whenever you examine this text of Scripture very carefully, you understand that perfect purpose is not one-fold, it's two-fold. Mm -hmm. The Bible says the first purpose is to preservation. Really, it's threefold. It's the punishment of the person. It's the preservation of the soul. And then in third place, it's the purity of the church. Exactly. It's the period of church. That's the illustration that Paul will utilize talking about the leaven and how to a little leaven leavens the whole lump. Make sure that you pur purify yourself or purge yourself of that old lump. You know, Christ, our Passover, has died for us. Now it's incumbent upon us to make sure that we maintain the purity that God has associated with those who have been blessed by the blood of Christ. Absolutely. I tell uh, students in class, in the synoptics class, when we look at Matthew chapter 18, that deals with this same concept. One is a private offense, and the one here in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 is public. And so uh, it's already known, but both of them have the same underlying desire from God. God wants the soul saved. 
He desires the salvation of individual soul. And when you read Matthew chapter 18, that's the context. God wants the soul saved. Do not, you know, if there's, if there's sin in your life, cut it off because God wants your soul saved. Uh, do not be a stumbling block causing others to sin because God wants their soul saved. Even angels are, are facing God. They're concerned about the righteousness of those who believe. Uh, the Lord says, if somebody sins against you, I want you to go to him and, and, and talk to him. Why? Because I want their soul saved. The Same. entire premise is I want their soul saved. And so individuals who who say, well, you know, uh, fellowship does not work. I've said this recently in a, in a lectureship that I was in. I said, no, some people are too steeped in their sin and they don't want to give it up. And then on the other hand, some are not uh, are still associating with and providing the benefits of Christian fellowship to individuals from whom it should be uh, withheld and so that individual is enjoying the <clears throat> pleasures of sin and the benefits of Christianity why because you've not you've not you've not ceased to mix up with them and uh, why would they come back when they still have all the benefits That's it. you know and getting back to what Terrence said a moment ago if you withdraw and practice discipline to an individual and say they do not come back because of the hardness of heart, mm. it was still successful because you have kept the church pure. Sin. And that's the, it, well, isn't really that's the most important thing, keeping the church pure? It, it really is. Let's let us read the text real quickly so we make sure that we're clear and people understand what we're talking about and realize we're not just making this up. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse number 4, In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, there that is again, by the authority of our Lord Jesus Christ, when you are gathered together in my spirit with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ to deliver such a one unto Satan. Now that is a, an expression that means to withdraw from this person, to deliver such a one to Satan. Listen to what for. Number one, for the destruction of, of the flesh. There's your punishment. Now it's not punishment that we are meeting out. It's punishment that God is meeting out. So he says, you deliver him to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, number one. But number two, that the spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. So there's your punishment, there's your preservation. But go on down to verse number six and seven. He says, your glorying is not good. Know ye not that a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. Purge out therefore the old leaven that you may be a new lump as you are unleavened. In other words, he's saying that God has made us clean. Christ has purified us through his death. We quoted Titus chapter 2, verse number 14 in the last segment. We've been purified. Ephesians chapter 5, verse number 25. Christ is, is the, the head of the church, and the Bible tells us as husbands to love our wives, even as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might cleanse it, uh, purify it, and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. Mm -hmm. right? And so you're right, Brother Tom, the purity of the church is something that is a serious matter in the eyes of God. And in that regard, a third area that we need to discuss in our program today is that fellowship cannot take place with those who teach false doctrine. Any teaching which would lead one into sin, which would lead one to endorse or perform unauthorized acts is within itself sinful and is false. Why? It's because we are disciples indeed, and we must abide in the word of Christ. And we're going to be judged by the words of Christ, John 12 and verse 48. And so anytime we violate any part of God's word, uh, we're in violation. And, you know, the Bible is replete with passages about uh, the false teacher. For just example, I'll get it started uh, by looking at Romans uh, chapter 16 and verse 17. 
Now I beseech you, brethren, mark them that are causing division and occasions of stumbling contrary to the doctrine which you learned and turn away from them. Well, you know, we hear things like, things like, well, I'm not really comfortable with that doctrine. Well, if you're not comfortable with it, that means probably it's false and you ought not to be a part of it, right? right. You know, if, you're, if it's wrong, don't be a part of it. Have no fellowship with it and have enough courage to say, that is wrong and I shall have no fellowship with it. Absolutely. You know, I want to dig a little deeper here and understand something. A false doctrine does not exist separate and apart from its false teacher. Yes, sir. You have to deal with both. I know of congregations who will say, well, I know he preaches false doctrine on certain things, but they're still having this individual come speak to them because he's not going to teach false doctrine on, in the pulpit that night. And they act as if a false doctrine exists separate from the individual. This individual is holding a doctrine that is contrary to God. You know, a Baptist preacher didn't preach false doctrine every sermon, does yeah. he? Yeah, and so he's holding a, a, a position contrary to God. He is categorically opposed to God, but you're still going to allow him to come in. And the Bible clearly says here, the Apostle Paul clearly indicates here, he says, you note that individual, you have no company with him. And so re you reject the false doctrine, and you mark and avoid the false teacher. And, you know, the same thing Jesus said, uh, uh, this was done. And so you're not going to invite them to preach and, and, and you know, say foolish things like, though he won't preach his, his false doctrine hey, over here. Let, let, me, let me speak to that. Man, true life situation. Got the Belt of Missouri a number of years ago, preached there. And the elders were trying to bring in Jack Evans. Jack Evans is gone now. He's gone on into eternity. Jack Evans Sr., that is. Jack Evans held a false view on divorce and remarriage. Facts of the matter. Facts of the matter. His view did not coincide or harmonize with what the Bible teaches on that matter. And so they were wanting to bring him in for a gospel meeting. And I, I said, look, we can't bring in this, this brother. He's a false teacher. He doesn't preach the truth on this subject matter. And I was told at that time, I thought that group of elders, well, we're not bringing him in to, to preach on uh, divorce and remarriage. And very interesting that they said that. I, I had a tape, I still got it in my files right now, where Jack Evans was preaching on a gospel meeting and the subject, you can read the subject right on the cassette tape. The subject had nothing to do with marriage or divorce, but yet and still, that was evidence that I had that he taught false doctrine on divorce and remarriage because he did it in that sermon that had nothing to do with divorce or remarriage. And so you're exactly right. We cannot divorce the false doctrine from the false teacher. If the guy's a false teacher, then he cannot be trusted to teach the truth until he repents. And we need to make sure that we're aware of that. You know, and they sometimes are underhanded. They know they're given a topic that has nothing to do with their false teaching, right. but they have an opportunity now. They have a forum, a platform, and they will sneak it in there. That's right. And so we have to be careful of that. You know, 2 Thessalonians 3 and verse 6, Now we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you withdraw yourselves from every brother that walketh disorderly, and not after tradition which they received of us. You know, if you're teaching a false doctrine, you're not walking orderly, are you? That's right. Verse 14 of that same chapter, If any man obey not our word by this epistle, note that man, that you have no company with him to the end that he may be ashamed. It's very, very clear. 
that we need to not have fellowship, well, you know, it's he, 99% of him is pretty good, right? So yeah. is rat poison, right? Yeah, and 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 here is the beauty <laughs> right. of here's the yeah, here's the beauty of this entire text, uh, the background of the of of the texture in the context. Some were being lazy, and not providing for themselves. And the apostle Paul writes here. It says this is contrary to righteousness. Laziness is contrary to righteousness. And so, uh, so we have to understand that there's even in laziness, he said to withdraw yourself. Exactly right. So. There's a whole lot more we can say, and maybe we'll say more about this at another time. But we want you to understand that fellowship is a very, very serious issue with God. And we must have fellowship only with those where we have authority to do so. And when God says we are to withdraw fellowship with pe- from people to not have association with them, we are not to do that. God has spoken on the subject, and who are we to alter what God says? Thank you for listening in. We'll see you next time.